Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Chris Mannix joins us online. Hey, Chris. What's going on, guys? How are you? Oh, can't complain. It'll be better about three weeks, I'm sure, but all good now. <laughs> all right, we're trying to figure out if the Celtics are goosed or porked. What's your What's your vote? <laughs> You, you refresh me. Which one is the positive? Which one's the negative? Uh, neither is positive. <laughs> okay. Well, it, it just doesn't feel I, right here, does it? No, it it doesn't, and it feels like you know this has been as as bad as you could expect it to be uh, in the aftermath of this past season. I mean, you know, Kyrie. I think at the end of the season, if you projected out, this would be the scenario where it's almost a certainty that he's gone. I don't think people would have been shocked, but you know, Horford. There's a great relationship between Horford and the team, between Horford and Brad Stevens. To lose him, I think, is w- without knowing if they're going to get anybody back, uh, it's close to, to catastrophic. Because with Horford, I think they'd be in position to compete uh, in the Eastern Conference, at least for maybe a conference finals. And if the top of the conference crumbles in the way it could, uh, maybe outside chance of getting to the finals. But without Horford, I just don't see the path there right now. Do you think this is more Horford looking at the Celtics not as a contender, or is it more Ainge saying, I don't want to commit to three more years of Al Horford, and he can get that somewhere else, and he can get $100 good for him, but we're not going to tie ourselves up to Horford you know, in his mid-30s? Yeah, I think it's more the latter, Rich. Um, I, I don't think Al Horford had any problem coming back to this team for – all the reasons I mentioned, he's, he cemented himself pretty well in the community. He's got a young family. I think all things being equal, Al Horford would prefer to stay. But all things are not equal. And, and this is, has the potential to have uh, teams spend like it's the summer of 2016. I mean, there are nine teams out there right now with $19 million or more in salary cap space. And when many of those teams invariably strike out on their respective free agents that they have at the top of their board, they'll cast their eye towards uh, others. It's how Evan Turner got paid, you know, a couple of years back. It's how Alan Crabb got paid. It's how Jan Mahimi got paid. Not to compare Al Horford to to some of those players, two of whom were big-time busts, but there's money that's going to be out there. So if you're Al Horford and you're 33 years old and you're looking at the last contract probably, uh, at least the last big one of your professional career – you want to maximize it. So there's no ill will between Al Horford and the Celtics, and I don't think there's any issue with Al uh, coming back to this team. It's just a dollars and cents thing, and there's a lot more money out there for Al to get than Boston's willing to spend. How daunting is a rebuild centered around Tatum and uh, Brown? It's pretty daunting. Um, you know, of course, you know people like, hate to hear about draft assets, but that's kind of what they are. I mean, you can either use them and, and succeed or whiff on them and fail. It's, it's a crapshoot to a degree. But I remind people of the early 2000s when the Nets had those three picks in the first round. They just acquired Jason Kidd. They had three picks in the first round. And out of those picks, they got Richard Jefferson and Jason Collins. And where would the Nets be without those two players? They were key pieces 
to back-to-back finals teams. If the Celtics are smart and if they draft well, they'll be able to find guys that can supplement this roster. I still think that Jason Tatum is a potential franchise player. I think Jalen Brown can be at least a 2B type player, if not full 2A type player. So I think it just puts a lot more pressure on the scouting staff and on Danny Ainge to hit on these draft picks if they're forced to keep them. I keep seeing reports that the Celtics are one of the teams interested in the number four pick. How would they be able to, how realistic do you think that is? And how would they get up there? I don't think it's realistic unless they're willing to include an established player. And the established player, I don't think has to be a Tatum or a Brown, but maybe it's a Marcus Smart. I'm speculating more on, on that because I'm thinking of the type of players that New Orleans is looking for. But if you packaged all three of those draft picks in a Marcus Smart, could you get the interest of the Pelicans? Maybe in that sense. They're just not enamored in New Orleans with, with whatever's there at that number four pick. And they believe that if they move down, they think they can get uh, what they want out of that slot anyway and still push their draft picks into uh, pushing, getting more draft picks out of the, the equation there. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a shot at it, but you'd have to give up an established player with it. Are you enamored with Garland at the four spot if that's who the Celtics were going after? Not exactly, but I, I would say in all transparency, I'm like the wrong guy to ask about the ins and outs of Darius Garland. <laughs> like it's, I mean, the guy played five games in college, and I didn't scout him much in, in, um, yeah, when he was playing before that. So, uh, you know, you hear mixed – what you hear mostly is that that number four spot could go a number of different ways. You've heard Garland there. You've heard Jared Culver there. You've heard uh, even Cam Reddish maybe making some moves to move up there. Colby White is someone I think that, as, as far as guards, could be one of the first guys uh, after the top three off the board. So th- there's a lot of, of, of movement right now in terms of what teams think of that number four spot. Now, obviously, it's it's you know guesswork at this point, but I'm, I'm curious, what do you think of Zion Williamson? I know he won't go to the, the Celtics, obviously, but my point is, is some people view him as like he's going to be an MVP candidate, but others look at him and say, well, maybe it's more like a Larry Johnson type. Like where, where do you see him? What side are you on when it comes to Zion? You know, I, I go off what, what smarter people in the game tell me. And, you know, when I talk to executives and scouts that watch this kid, I mean, they, they put him in that kind of Anthony Davis class in terms of uh prospect and the can't miss nature of Zion Williamson. I mean, he just, he's just got a lot of tools. I mean, he can run the floor. He can, He's incredibly athletic, obviously. He can handle the ball like a guard. And in today's league, when you know fours and fives are interchangeable, Zion Williamson has the potential to be just a dangerous four-five combo man. Now, there are obvious things that he needs to shore up, like any 18-year-old needs to shore up. He's got to become a better three-point shooter because all the the great NBA forwards, uh, power forwards, have become three-point shooters, but all the tools are there. He's going to go to a system in New Orleans run by Alvin Gentry. It's going to suit him. He'll play up-tempo all the time. And he's going to have a sharp defensive coach and somebody Boston's familiar with, and Darren Ehrman, who's on Gentry's staff down there. That's going to make him, I think, into a pretty good defensive player as well. So I I just I have a hard time seeing Zion Williamson miss. I I think he's he's a strong, strong all-star candidate. Back to the Celtics for just a moment. How much of the blame – for what was an abysmal year, the owner of the team said so. Cedric Maxwell said, I didn't like this Celtics team. Everybody saw what they saw. How much of the blame goes to Brad Stevens and Danny Ainge? I mean, I think the blame pie has to be cut up in a lot of different ways, right? I mean, it, it was the most unlikable team we've seen in, in recent memory. I mean, the, the NBC Sports Boston ratings indicated that. 
Um, but, you know, we, we said all along that Brad Stevens, one of the ways he was going to have to prove himself was he was going to have to coach, for lack of a better word, jerks. Like he was going to have to coach high-talent guys that may be difficult to work with. And Kyrie Irving was kind of the first that sort of fit that category. And it, it's looking almost certainly like it's not going to work out. With Danny Ainge, I understand the thinking. You know, holding on to Terry Rozier after last season's playoff run, you did it because, you know, in theory, you want to make sure that protection in case Kyrie decided to bail for next season. But should Danny Ainge have traded Terry Rozier for something that might have helped Boston more in the next season? Uh, should he have rolled the dice and gone after Kawhi Leonard when that, that uh, option was potentially available to them? So, yeah, I mean, when you, when you look back at Monday morning quarterback, it, you can understand where they're coming from and the decisions they made, but you know, they, they have to share in some of the blame. Now, all reports are that they're looking to trade Aaron Baines and his $5.4 million. And, you know, Al Horford, we all assume, is gone. Kyrie Irving's gone. We'll, we'll see what happens with Morris and Rozier. But what do you think they're doing with all that money? Who do, you, do you think they have a, a guy in mind for this year, whether it's trade, maybe free agency, or is, it, is this a, sort of a long-term thing? Well, it's a great question because if they're looking to move Baines, something must be up. Now, I was checking in with, with people within the Celtics after you know, that report came out, and the sense I got was, while it's possible that they could be shopping him, there are more teams that might be calling about him to try to get him because of the value he obviously adds and the contract that he has. But if they do move him, that gives you a pretty clear sign that they're after somebody. I don't know who it is at this point. It's probably somebody via trade. Um, I've heard the name Bradley Beal connected to a lot of situations, but Bradley Beal is is like Ted Leonsis, the owner of Washington's favorite player. And so it would take a, a significant offer, more than just graphics, like a smart at Bradley Beal out of Washington. But one thing's for sure, because of how much the coaching staff likes Aaron Baines and because of how effective the numbers say they are defensively when he's out there on the floor, if they move him, it's because they have something bigger on the horizon. Will the Lakers be able to acquire a third superstar to go with LeBron and Anthony Davis? I don't, I don't think they're going to be able to clear enough cap space to do that, nor do I believe the Pelicans, who have a vested interest in the Lakers being bad now, I don't believe the Pelicans are going to wait until July 30th to execute the deal. I'm going to say the Lakers, it's July 6th or it's nothing, and the Lakers are going to take July 6th, and that's going to cut into that cap space. And, you know, I'm sure a Kemba Walker would consider the Lakers. Uh, wonder if Harry Irving would consider the Lakers. But without that max salary slot, I, I just don't see those guys going there. The guys I mentioned are entering that kind of third contract phase of their career. This is where they maximize their money. Kemba Walker is eligible for a Supermax in, in Charlotte. Kyrie is going to get a four-year max from somebody, whether it's New York, Brooklyn, or somebody else that I'm not hearing about right now. Uh, they're just not going to go there for, you know, 75 cents, 80 cents on the dollar to play next to LeBron James and to live in Los Angeles. So I think the Lakers are going to have to really figure out how you use that 23 or $27 million you have in cap space to flesh out that roster. Because guys, they did the easy part in this past week. They got Anthony Davis. They traded like everything but the Chick Hearn statue out there to go and get him. Now you have to really look and, and fill out that roster with quality players. You've got to find your version of Pascal Siakam in the draft. You've got to find your version of Fred Van Vliet in, in, in undrafted free agency. Only then 
can we really consider the Lakers a true contender in the West? What is worst-case scenario for the Celtics tonight? Is it not making any trades and just sitting there at 14, 20, and 22? Yeah, and I think if you want to take it a step further, you know, if you're a Boston fan, the last thing you want to see are, like, you know, two European names that are going to be stashed overseas for a couple of years. You know, yeah. because, I mean, I think that's, that's, that's plausible given the fact that the Celtics just don't have the roster flexibility to, to bring on these guys, nor do they want to bring on, you know, three rookies uh, into this mix. So best case scenario is that they find a deal to move off these draft picks and get themselves an established player. Mike Conley came off the board, obviously, in that deal uh, with you, but somebody to, to do that or, mm-hmm. you know, move those picks for future draft picks just because you don't need them this year as much as you might need them down the line. The SINBA draft specialist tonight at 730 on SI.com and all of their social channels. Chris Mannix will be a part of it. We appreciate you being a part of this as well. Anytime, guys. Thanks, Chris. See you, Chris. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.